When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Tip of the Iceberg podcast, brought to you, as always, by InsideThePenguins.com. I'm your host, Nick Berlansky, sans Nick Horwat today. He is taking a well-deserved couple of days to himself. Hopefully, he is enjoying Nashville while we sit here and wait for the end of the Stanley Cup final, because really, that's when you're going to start to get any news of real significance, but... That doesn't mean we don't have anything to talk about today. We have plenty to discuss on today's episode of The Tip of the Iceberg. Kyle Dubas, named president of Hockey Ops last week, has already made a couple moves in the front office. We'll discuss that. Another former friend could be joining the Pittsburgh Penguins organization in a weird way. We'll be discussing that. Let's talk about the top line in the second segment. And then I put out there for the first time and probably a month, uh, a weekly Pens poll that has not been weekly since the season ended. Got to get back to doing that on a more regular basis, but let's get everything started by talking about those moves that Kyle Dubas made. Of course, Dubas named the president of Hockey Ops last week. He is also going to be the interim general manager for the Pittsburgh Penguins, making the majority of the decisions this summer as the Penguins try to rebuild and become a team that can get back into the Stanley Cup playoffs and that can come back, hopefully, to the Stanley Cup final. But in order to do that, Dubas is tasked with not only fixing the team on the ice, but fixing the team off the ice as well. Uh, And he's already taking... A couple of names out of the mix in the Pittsburgh Penguins front office. One of his first actions as president of Hockey Ops was to relieve three former Ron Hextall hires from the Penguins organization. Alex Shaw, who was director of hockey operations. Tina Murray, who was the vice president of integrated performance. And Kerry Huffman, who is the director of pro scouting. Now, as we know... All three of these names, not names that you heard on a daily basis if you're a Pittsburgh Penguins fan. Maybe not names that you've heard ever as a Pittsburgh Penguins fan. But what we do know is things needed to change in the Pittsburgh Penguins front office. And it's not like I ever like to see anybody lose their jobs. That's not where I'm going with this. That's not why I'm bringing this up. But what I do like is the initiative of Kyle Dubas to make sure that he has his house coming correct before the regular the offseason really kicks in. And that's the thing with Kyle Dubas that we're going to have to watch is how does he build out his front office? We knew changes were going to be made. It happens every time there's a regime change in everything, whether that's hockey, whether that's just business in general. When there is a regime change at the top, a lot of the times you see that and you see changes start to happen below them. So Those three, of course, already relieved of their duties. They were Ron Hextall hires, as I mentioned at the top of the show. 
But we'll see what Kyle Dubas does to not only one, fill those roles, but two, fill fill out the rest of the front office. We were told early in the Penguins general manager search that Fenway Sports Group really wanted to build out the analytics department in Pittsburgh. Kyle Dubas, obviously a huge name when it comes to hockey analytics. And I would imagine that there's more resources that are going to be put into that department as well as Dubas settles into his new job and gets you know further on than five days into his tenure with the Pittsburgh Penguins. But there is another name that could be potentially joining the Pittsburgh Penguins organization in a more interesting way, and that is Jason Spezza. Obviously, that's a name that most people are aware of. Jason Spezza played 20 years in the National Hockey League, then joined the front office of the Toronto Maple Leafs with Kyle Dubas. He actually resigned from that position as assistant general manager in Toronto the day Kyle Dubas was fired. So it would make sense, as Elliot Friedman and Jeff Merrick reported from 32 Thoughts, that Jason Spezza has his eyes on joining the Pittsburgh Penguins organization. The one hiccup in that entire thing is Spezza had more time left on his contract with Toronto when he resigned, so they can block any move that he's going to make to any NHL team, specifically the Pittsburgh Penguins and Kyle Dubas. But there is a slight workaround from what Friedman and Merrick reported is that Spezza could join Fenway Sports Group and not the Pittsburgh Penguins organization, in which case he would be allowed to accept that job as well. So keep your eyes out for Jason Spezza news because he could potentially be joining Fenway Sports Group, who is, of course, the parent company of the Pittsburgh Penguins, to work again side-by-side with Kyle Dubas. Uh, Same thing goes for Brendan Pridham. Although he is still with the Toronto Maple Leafs organization, there is belief that he was blocked from joining the Pittsburgh Penguins organization and leaving Toronto to come to the Pittsburgh Penguins. Actually, you know what? I got to check. I'm not sure if Brendan Pridham is still with the Toronto Maple Leafs, but regardless, that's why he wouldn't be joining the Pittsburgh Penguins organization is because it is believed that the Toronto Maple Leafs blocked any opportunity for him uh, to join the Penguins organization. But uh, Spezza would be interesting, in my opinion, because... When I think of Jason Spezza, I automatically think of that 2006 Ottawa Senators team, the 2007 Ottawa Senators team that the Pittsburgh Penguins played in their first and second ever playoff series with the Sidney Crosby era. And I hated those Senators. I absolutely hated the Ottawa Senators. I I say to this day, I'm probably the only person in this world that has negative memories and a negative reaction to the name Daniel Alfredson. He is beloved among all hockey circles, and it's not that I I hate the guy at this point because I don't really hate any NHL players at this point. Like, if I don't hate Alex Ovechkin anymore like I did when I was a kid, then I really don't hate anybody. Uh, But I, I really, because that was the first time of the Sidney Crosby era that the Penguins got to the playoffs when they faced Spezza and Alfredson and Danny Heatley and Ray Emery, and they just embarrassed the Penguins in that series. And I will always remember that as the first time that I was really invested in Penguins playoff hockey because at that point I was 11, 12 years old. I expected, you know what, they made the playoffs. They're so good. They're going to get through a round. They're going to, we're going to see winning playoff hockey. And it was not 
Uh, not what the doctor ordered. The Pittsburgh Penguins did not advance past the Ottawa Senators that first year. Luckily, they did get their revenge the following season and have gotten their revenge a few times uh, since then, most notably the 2017 Eastern Conference Finals when Chris Kunitz basically put an end to the era of Ottawa Senators hockey and sent them into a losing tailspin that they have yet to recover from. So the Penguins, they got the revenge on Jason Spezza and the Ottawa Senators organization, but that's just my name association when I hear the name Jason Spezza, and I think it would be interesting if the Pittsburgh Penguins uh, eventually ended up having Spezza involved in their organization in one way, shape, or form. Uh, the other memory that comes to mind is, I believe it was the 2011 or 2012 series, Penguins versus Senators, and everybody remembers that shift from Sidney Crosby, the puck possession shift against Jason Spezza, and you know, you know what, honestly... Everybody brings that up to show, man, look at Sidney Crosby and the way that he's just able to, you know, puck on a string, control the puck down low. That's his office behind the net because nobody can take the puck from him when he's down in that position and down in that area. But you know what? I give props to Jason Spezza on that play because he he didn't take the puck away from Sidney Crosby, which was clearly and obviously his goal there and his job there. But he stuck with Crosby a, a pretty good bit. On that shift. And that's not an easy thing to do. So I, I will give him a little bit of credit. But at the end of the day. There's a reason that is a career highlight. And the storied career of Sidney Crosby. And then of course he dishes it off to Chris Letang. Who fires it home from the point. So <laughs> Spezza if he joins the Penguins organization. I'm sure him and Sid will have a few laughs about that. I'm sure him and Sid have plenty of stories to talk about. And honestly I don't hate the idea of him joining the Penguins front office. I think the one thing that we have to ask is what experience did he take from his one year as an AGM in Toronto? And obviously he has 20 years of experience as a player, but his front office experience is literally just one one year, right? Most entry-level jobs now ask for three to five years of experience, which to me is an oxymoron. And I think to most people is an oxymoron, but... If the NHL circles work the same way that most hiring does, Spezza is under, not underqualified, that, that's the wrong word for it, but uh, he doesn't have the experience that a lot of these entry-level positions ask for. We'll see what happens with that. We'll see what happens with the rest of the front office, and of course that will leak over to the team on the ice, and we'll see what they're able to do in that aspect as well this summer. I'm intrigued to see what does Kyle Dubas do with the goaltending position? Does Kyle Dubas make sweeping changes on defense or does he just tinker with what's already in place in Pittsburgh? How does he want to rebuild the bottom six? Is there a particular player or contract, as we'll talk about with our weekly Pens poll, is there a particular player or contract that he's looking to get off the books, that he really needs to get off the books in his eyes? Those are all questions that will be answered in due time as of right now with the Stanley Cup final going on. We're probably not going to get any major news because that's just how Gary Bettman likes it. But we're going to take a quick break. When we return, let's talk a little bit about some positive things from last season. And one thing the Pittsburgh Penguins don't have to fix, that's their top line. We'll discuss that right after the break.
Welcome back to the Tip of the Iceberg podcast, brought to you as always by InsideThePenguins.com. I'm Nick Berlansky. Again, without Nick Horwat today, he will be back for Thursday's episode this week, but he's enjoying a little bit of time down in the honky-tonk town in Nashville, Tennessee. But we talked about Kyle Dubas in the first segment. He's made a couple changes to the front office already. I guarantee you there's more changes to come, so we'll keep our eyes on that. And obviously, if anything happens, we'll discuss it here on the tip of the iceberg. But I want to talk a little bit about the on-the-ice product for the Pittsburgh Penguins. We've been doing that off and on, mostly on Penguins to go this offseason because tip of the iceberg, we've talked a lot about the front office because that has been the main storyline for the Pittsburgh Penguins up to this point. Now, of course, that is mostly resolved. There's still a lot of you know stones to be uncovered when it comes to who's the general manager. That'll be later in the summer, as Kyle Dubas mentioned. Who else gets you know gets the axe from the Penguins front office? Who gets hired to replace those gentlemen and ladies? How much do the Penguins want to build out the hockey analytics department? These are all questions that we'll get answers to in the coming months. But as of right now, we don't have any more answers to that. So let's talk about something else. Let's talk about one area that the Pittsburgh Penguins don't really need to worry about heading into next season. There's not very many of them that are like that. There's a lot of areas the Penguins need to fix, and we've talked about them a lot so far this offseason, including, obviously, the defense. Went from 6th to 21st in expected goals allowed per 60 minutes. Uh, That's not a good drop. That's not what you want to happen. The bottom six, which was not very productive at all, I would say. I think that's an understatement when looking at it. The goaltending with Tristan Jari. What do you do with him? Casey DeSmith has one year left at $1.8 million. What do you do with him? There's a lot of questions, a lot of holes to be filled. There's a lot of issues with this Pittsburgh Penguins roster as of right now. The one thing that there is zero issue with is the Penguins' top line. And it's undoubtedly Sidney Crosby, Jake Gensel, and Ricard Raquel. Those three had a phenomenal season in 2022-23. I mean, that is an understatement. And there were times that, yes, head coach Mike Sullivan opted to split those three up. Never Crosby and Gensel. Those two always stayed the same. But Raquel was bounced around the lineup from time to time to try to spark something outside of this top line. Not that the second line was bad. Zucker, Malkin, and Rust as a trio were one of the best in the league as well. The problem was they were getting less than nothing from their bottom six for large portions of the season. So yes, Raquel was bounced down to the second line. Rust was put up on the first line sometimes. Yeah, okay. We've seen that work with the first line before, and it worked for the most part this season as well. Tried and true to what we've seen from Brian Rust, Sidney Crosby, and Jake Gensel over the past five seasons, they work well together. But what I didn't expect coming into 2022-23 was to find out that Ricard Raquel not only works better with Gensel and Crosby, but it's noticeably different. It's not just, hey, it's... It's a little different. You know, they both work in their own way, but it's a little different. No, it was, wow, these guys are much better together, which is saying something because Rust, Gensel, and Crosby together were great. But Raquel in that mix, it got fun. It looked like 
Harlem Globetrotter-esque hockey from those three. How good were they together? Well, they played at 5-on-5, five five, 554 minutes together last season. They had 56% of the shot attempts when they were on the ice, 58% of the expected goals, 59% of the scoring chances. Now, I understand that when I talk about analytics, some of you tune out and say, yeah, I guess those numbers sound good. It's over 50%, which means they're getting more of these chances and shots and, and scoring opportunities and expected goals and they're giving up. That's great. And that's always what you want. But considering the sample size, which is a lot of time on ice, I looked it up on moneypuck.com. There was only about nine or 10 lines that played over 500 minutes together. So that is a lot of time together for Crosby, Gensel, Raquel. So the sample size is near as high as you can get. And they have phenomenal numbers. You can't ask for more. As a line together, we talked about all those lines. Expected goals, 58.03 expected goals for percentage at 5 on 5. Where does that rank in the league? Top 5. They were a top 5 line in that statistic in 2022-23. Only behind three, obviously. That's how math works, Nick. But three lines were better than them. Third was Brandon Hagel, Braden Point, and Nikita Kucherov of the Tampa Bay Lightning. Three pretty good players, I would say. Pretty good line, pretty good team at the end of the year. Okay, so that's number three. Who was ahead of them? Jason Robertson. Joe Pavelski and Rupe Hintz. Oh, okay. So just the best line from the Dallas Stars, a team that went to the Western Conference Finals. All right, well, who's number one? It has to be three massive superstars. And here's where I get to this point, and I'll talk about why I find this hilarious, uh, because it is really indicative of how you can build out a bottom six in the National Hockey League. And yes, this is a bottom six line for the Carolina Hurricanes that led the NHL in expected goals for percentage last season. Martin Nook, Jordan Stahl, and Jesper Fast. That was the best line in hockey last year, in the regular season, in expected goals for percentage. And it's not like they played a little bit together. No, I, I put it up to, I believe, 200 minutes of time on ice together as the minimum. And those three played together... Pretty much as much as Crosby, Raquel, and Gensel did. So those are the only three lines that performed better than Crosby, Gensel, and Raquel in expected goals for percentage, which is, if you don't know, the expected goals for them minus or uh, averaged with the expected goals that you were expected to give up when on the ice. So three lines better than them. Guess what happened for all three of those teams? All three of them made the playoffs. And all three of them finished in the top three in their division. Meanwhile, the Pittsburgh Penguins did not finish in the top three in their division. They did not finish in the top four in their division. They finished fifth in the Metropolitan Division and missed the postseason for the first time in 16 years. So yes, the Penguins had a problem with their depth. But also, the first line was good enough that if you had anything in your depth, 
this team would have not only made the playoffs, but they probably would have challenged to win a series this offseason or this postseason. Maybe not if they would have gotten into where the Florida Panthers were, but if they could have gotten into the top three in the Metropolitan Division, they probably could have made some noise, whether that was against a New York Rangers team that had embarrassed them, I will give them that, a couple times this season, whether that was against a New Jersey Devils team that just the Penguins just couldn't seem to figure it out with. But this is all if they get a better bottom six. And that's what Kyle Dubas is going to be tasked with this offseason. Now, with that being said, I will say, if ifs were fifths, the world would entirely be drunk. You can't go back and change that. You can't go back and and say that, hey, you know, if they had, say, Martin Uxtall and Fast as their third line, which, again, big if, they would have won a Stanley Cup. No, we don't know how it would have worked out. But considering the numbers, that line proved that if you would have given them anything, they could have carried this team to, at the very least, a playoff spot. I'm confident in saying that simply because they were one point away from making a playoff spot in general. They were beating a bad, as we all know, a bad Chicago Blackhawks team away from making the playoffs. So anything in the bottom six would have helped improve this team to a team that could go to the Stanley Cup playoffs. Now, I mentioned that there were times where Raquel was bounced off of that line in favor of Brian Rust in favor to try to shake things up for the Pittsburgh Penguins because there were times where it seemed like the Pittsburgh Penguins were pretty much asleep at the wheel, right? There were games where they didn't show up at all. There were games where, man, their age is showing. They were the oldest team in the National Hockey League. That's rough. There were a lot of games like that. And in order to try to change things up, yeah, Mike Sullivan did switch the lineup around a little bit. Raquel played with Malkin. There were times Raquel was on the third line. There were times Rust was on the third line. Trying to get some consistency throughout the four forward lines. But at the same time, considering how bad that bottom six was, it feels like it was probably just a lost cause. Right? You should have just left Raquel up there with Crosby and Gensel and just tried to get by. In that aspect, I can't blame Mike Sullivan for splitting them up. I mean, they still played just as much time together as they did apart. Because when you look at Gensel and Crosby without Raquel, they played 525 minutes of ice time together. So pretty much sample size of 50-50. Their numbers, though, underlying-wise, dropped significantly. They went from 56% of the shot attempts to 52% of the shot attempts. They went for 58% of the expected goals for percentage to 53 And then they went from 59% of the scoring chances to 52. Marked drops in production when Raquel was taken away from Crosby and Gensel. That's not to say that Crosby and Gensel can't do it on their own. Those are still very good numbers, still some of the best numbers on the team, and still numbers that go head-to-head with most first lines in, in all of hockey. But that shows the impact that Ricard Raquel had on that line. He is the missing piece for that first line. Not that Brian Rust wasn't great. Again, most of the time when it's Gensel and Crosby without Raquel, it is Brian Rust that is on that right side. And those three have played together for over five seasons. Shoot. Those three were together back in 2018 when the Penguins were still back-to-back Stanley Cup champions and going for a third one. 
So, not that that's a bad line, but the one thing the Pittsburgh Penguins have in spades is top-line talent. Crosby, Raquel, Gensel, Brian Rust, if he's able to bounce back, because that's an interesting thing as well. Because it's all connected to the way that Ron Hextall and company built that team. I, I blame, honestly, and this might be very, very much overthinking it, very much galaxy-braining it. I blame Ron Hextall for Brian Rust's bad season. And it's not because he gave him the contract. It's not because Brian Rust got paid. It's because Ron Hextall couldn't build a bottom six. Because Ron Hextall couldn't build a bottom six with players that can play the penalty kill. Brian Rust played more time on the penalty kill this season than he has in his entire career. You want to tell me that's not a coincidence? That when he does that, his offensive numbers dipped as well? When he does that, and he gets taken off the top power play, his offensive numbers dip as well? I would say that it's more impactful that he played so much time on the penalty kill than it is that he was taken off of the top power play. I think that's what impacted his offensive numbers more, is that he was... He was playing a lot of time on the penalty kill because it's not just like, hey, you're playing the power play. That's special teams time. You know, it takes away from your five on five time. Sure. But the way that you have to play as a penalty killer takes more from you than just time because it is exhausting to play the penalty kill. As somebody who played penalty kill a lot when he played hockey, I will tell you, it is Two times, maybe three times more exhausting than any other shift you can play, whether it's five on five, power play, whatever. Penalty kill is almost like it you're racking up time times two. Because you can't stand still. You have to get into lanes. You have to be physical. You have to pressure on the forecheck to try to mess up the other team's breakout as much as you can with only four of you guys on the ice. You have to take up more space. You have to move, and it's a lot of stopping and starting. These are all things that you guys know watching the game of hockey, but going for forwards that can kill penalties in the bottom six, that's what I want to see this summer from Kyle Dubas. Get Brian Rust off of that PK unit, or at the very least, get him as an alternate, maybe a fifth option, a sixth option for those nights where, as the Penguins tend to do, they get into penalty trouble and they end up trying to kill five penalties because as we know, the NHL can become a rough show very quickly. Get some guys down there to be ahead of Rust in the pecking order. He can't be one of your top two, top three penalty killers and still be the guy that we saw pushing 30 goals the past couple of seasons. That makes it difficult. Even if he's on Malkin's line, he will push for 30 goals if he doesn't have to spend so much time and energy on the penalty kill. I truly believe that. So if you fix the penalty kill, if you fix the bottom six, Brian Rust will be better on the second line, which allows Crosby, Gensel, and Raquel to spend more than half the season playing on the same line and tearing up opposing teams. That's a win-win situation if you're the Pittsburgh Penguins. So it all comes down to the bottom six. That's, that's really the reason I'm getting into this. I'm not saying anything that you as the listener doesn't already know. You knew that that was the best line the Penguins had to offer this season. You knew that, yeah, Brian Rust had a bad year. But the reason I'm getting into this is to highlight the importance of the bottom six moves that Kyle Dubas makes this summer. 
That's why they're more important than just, hey, you need to get guys out there that can that can play well whenever the top guys are off the ice. You need to get guys out there. It's a domino effect. You need to get guys out there that can kill penalties, that can do multiple different things. I don't dislike Danton Heinen. Danton Heinen, you know, if he's scoring at five on five, he's a great bottom six player. What didn't he do in 2022-23? He didn't score at five on five. He doesn't play the penalty kill. He doesn't particularly play good defense at five on five. And yeah, he plays on the second power play unit, but if you're relying on somebody to play the second power play unit to be really a contributing member of your team, you're probably wasting assets. You're probably wasting cap space. So while I I wouldn't mind seeing Danton Heinen brought back, and I didn't hate seeing Danton Heinen brought back last offseason, you'd much rather have a guy like Evan Rodriguez, who plays power play number two, who scores a 5-on-5 just about as much as Danton Heinen, and who can play the penalty kill as well. That's the kind of player you're hoping Kyle Dubas and company reach out to and get signed under contract next season for the Pittsburgh Penguins. Well, we're going to take a quick break from that. And when we come back, finally, we returned to doing a Pens poll. So we'll have that for you right after the break. Welcome back to the Tip of the Iceberg podcast, brought to you as always by InsideThePenguins.com. Just a reminder, if you want to know where else you can find us, if you're listening right now, anywhere you get your podcasts, whether it be Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, the Odyssey app, I guess we're on as well, found that out the other day, you can listen to us literally anywhere you get your podcast from. And if you're doing that right now, I will tell you right now, if you like YouTube, We're on YouTube as well. Just search Inside the Penguins and you'll see all full episodes of Tip of the Iceberg podcast. You'll see episodes of Penguins to Go as well as clips during the season from Inside the Locker Room. Clips of Kyle Dubas' introductory press conference. Clips from all of that stuff. We house it there on Inside the Penguins on YouTube. And if you're watching on YouTube, as I said earlier, you can find us wherever you get your podcasts from. So uh, check us out on the go, whether you're driving to work or you're just going to grab a cup of coffee or going to pick up dinner. You can listen to us anywhere you get your podcast from. But we will finish off this episode by talking about our Pens poll. Finally went back to the weekly Pens poll. Probably should be doing it weekly. Uh, it is a good way to talk about content. And as you see, if you're on YouTube, Jeff Carter just popped up to my left. I believe it would be when you're watching this. Maybe you're right. Uh, I don't know. It switches around when I'm looking at the camera. Uh, but regardless, the Pens poll that I put out on Monday evening was which contract is the most problematic for the Pittsburgh Penguins this summer? Was it Jeff Carter, who's up on the screen right now? He has one year left at $3.125 million. And let's not forget this little ditty, a full no-move clause. That's not what you like to hear for a 38-year-old that produced nothing for the Pittsburgh Penguins. But we'll get to that. Is it Jeff Petrie, who has two years remaining on his current deal? At six point... uh, Let me make sure I have this correct here. I believe it is 6.125, but I have to double-check because... 
I forgot to put it in my my show notes right now. But regardless, Jeff Petrie was option number two. And then there's Mikhail Granlund. Granlund has two years left at $5 million a clip, and it is $6.250 million for Jeff Petrie, obviously the most expensive cap hit for the Penguins' blue line. But yes, uh, Mikhail Granlund, the other one, two years left at $5 million a pop. So I asked on Twitter, which you can follow us at Iceberg Podcast. We'll start putting more of these out uh, because we want to hear from you. We want to get your opinions on this team as we talk about them as well, uh, which is why we like to do the Pens poll. But this one, which contract is the most problematic for the Penguins? It's not Jeff Carter. It's not Jeff Petrie. Good day for the Jeffs. They didn't win this poll, which is not one you want to win. It is Mikhail Granlin, which I'm starting to think is Jeff in Swedish. Mikhail Granlin, 69. Nice. 69% of the vote as the most problematic contract for the Pittsburgh Penguins. Can't say I disagree, but... Let's talk about the rest of them first before we get into that. Jeff Carter got 25% of the vote, and Jeff Petrie got 6%. I think that's a good representation of how I feel as well. So I'm right in the line there with our listeners. Mikhail Granlin, he can't be as bad as last season, though. Like, there is still a chance that nobody out there wants Mikhail Granlin. There is still a chance that he becomes a member of the Pittsburgh Penguins next season. And when you're thinking about that, don't get so upset. Obviously, the Penguins would be better off not paying $5 million for the next two years for a player that really didn't show anything as a member of the organization after the trade deadline. And that would be an understatement. He he showed poor things. Really. Was n- not helpful. Did not contribute to winning. And in fact, probably contributed to losing more so than he did anything else. He scored one goal in 21 games. And even in that goal, it didn't matter. It was a garbage goal in a blowout game against the Philadelphia Flyers, who are a farly rebuilding team. So Granlin showed practically nothing. There was one positive to take away from Granlin's little stretch there after the trade deadline is that he was pretty good in faceoffs at first, right? He had that one game where he won, I believe, 11 of 12 or 13 of 14, one of those things. He won... Almost every face-off in that game. And we said, okay, well, at least that gets Jeff Carter on the wing, right? Maybe he can build off of this. You know, Mikhail Granlin is known as a facilitator, so we don't expect him to score a lot of goals. Well, he only added four assists. So he wasn't impressive there either. The problem being, two more years at $5 million, the Penguins paid Jason Zucker $5.5 million. They paid Ricard Raquel last season, $5 million. They paid Brian Rust last season, $5 million. And they scored a heck of a lot more than one goal and four assists in 21 games. They scored more than four goals, which that's what that equates to in a full season. Mikhail Granlin would have been a four-goal scorer for $5 million. It's a lot of money to pay per goal. $1.25 million for a goal. Shoot, I'll take that deal. That's a great deal if you're Mikhail Granlin. So, yeah, I agree. That is 100% the most problematic deal for the Pittsburgh Penguins. The only difference being, that's the only deal that doesn't have a clause on it. So that might help the Penguins' case, right? 
they can trade him wherever they see fit. Now, the problem still is, as with every trade in the NHL, there's somebody on the other side. And if somebody's picking up your trash, you're probably going to have to pay them. I got to pay the garbage man of Alexandria, Virginia to come pick up my trash. I, I pay for it every month. They come, they pick up all my garbage, and they get it out of here. Well, you're going to have to do that for Mikhail Granlin, which means you're not getting anything back. And there's people out there that say, listen, I don't care if you get anything back. Your reward is not having to watch Mikhail Granlund and $5 million of cap space. Well, hate to say it, if the Penguins trade Mikhail Granlin this summer, they're not clearing up $5 million in cap space. Not unless they're shipping him out with the first round pick, and I think that is just a bit excessive. You want to get rid of that player? I agree. You want to get his cap pivot off your books? I agree. Not at the expense of a first round pick when you have so much else to do. Right? And I said this on Twitter when talking with friend of the show, State of Hoppy. I said, listen, if the Penguins are trading that first round pick, it better be for something that helps out their goaltending position. Whether that is clearing the space to get a goaltender, which maybe the Granlin deal does that. I, I don't think it would. But more specifically for trading for a goaltender. There's a handful of them on the market. Talked about Connor Hellybuck on yesterday's Penguin, or, yeah, Penguins to go. John Gibson is out there in the news this week. He's available. So if you're going to use the first run pick, use it on that and not on getting rid of all $5 million of Mikhail Granlin's deal. You're going to have to retain some salary, whether that's up to the $2.5 million, which would be a tough pill to swallow, paying $2.5 million in basically dead cap space for two years. That's a tough pill to swallow. But at the same time, do you really want to watch Mikhail Granlund again next season and just blindly hope that he's able to perform better than he did at the end of last season? It was a quarter of a season and he showed nothing. So we'll see if he's able to do that. Jeff Carter garnered similar results during the season as Mikhail Granlin. When I think of Jeff Carter's contributions, they are few and far between of last year. He got that deal for an interesting reason. If you ask Rob Rossi of The Athletic, if you ask Josh Yoey of The Athletic, Jeff Carter signed that deal that is uh, expiring and is right now an you know, albatross of a contract. He signed it under interesting circumstances. And now the Penguins are dealing with that, even though the guy that signed him to that deal is currently, I would imagine, either on a beach somewhere or on a golf course somewhere. At least that's where I would be if I was a multimillionaire and just got relieved of my duties. So the good thing about Carter, despite it being a no-move clause, you can't really get rid of it, so you're probably going to see him on the team next season, is it's the last year. The same thing everybody said about Brian Dumlin last season. Oh, he's struggling. Oh, he's not playing well. But hey, it's the last year. At the end of the year, you could just wipe your hands of it. You don't have to do anything. Just shake his hand, say thanks for your years of service, and shoo him out the door. Now, Brian Dumlin at least contributed to winning a little bit more than Jeff Carter did this season. But at the same time, he enters the last year of his deal in an interesting area because the Penguins need to replace him on the roster, but they can't actually replace him on the salary cap. So we'll see what they're able to do with that. It's problematic because 
well, he didn't do anything. And it's not a small amount of money. $3.125 million would have been enough to sign last season Evan Rodriguez and Danton Heinen. Now, you tell me, this is a very big Evan Rodriguez podcast, I'm just realizing. You tell me if Evan Rodriguez was the third-line center instead of Jeff Carter last year, the Penguins wouldn't have had better results. They would have. Easily. 100%. And again, goes back to the thing I was talking about last segment. Probably would have gotten more from Brian Rust as well. But we'll leave that in the past. So yeah, I would agree that under Granlin, Carter is probably the next most problematic contract for the Pittsburgh Penguins. And then there's Jeff Petrie. I wouldn't say he has the third most problematic contract for the Penguins, but of these three, he's he's definitely third. And I'm not going to say that his contract isn't problematic. Considering what you saw him do for the Penguins last season, should he be the highest played, highest paid, let me try that again, the highest paid defenseman on the Pittsburgh Penguins roster? No, he should not. He didn't do at all what they brought him in to do, which was, hey, you're going to be a physical force, big body, down low, clear out the net front, and also bring an offensive punch. He brought a little bit of that offensive punch. We saw it from time to time throughout the season. He was a pretty good defenseman. He ate up some minutes. He, he helped get Chris Letang under his ice time totals from most of the past eight seasons. He certainly wasn't a physical force, and he certainly didn't help clear out the net front. That was, at the end of the day, what the Penguins front office last offseason said. We're trying to keep our goaltenders clean this season. We're bringing in big bodies. Jeff Petrie, Jan Ruda, who, by the way, I would say is probably the third most problematic contract on the Pittsburgh Penguins. Marcus Pedersen, we're going to have him play a little bit bigger. It didn't happen, right? It didn't happen in the least. The Penguins got beat in the net front time and time and time and time and time and time and time again. Who were the two players, when you think about it, Going into the game where you say they're probably going to score because they just always score against the Pittsburgh Penguins because the Penguins have no answer for them down in front. Anders Lee, Jordan Stahl, these players have tremendous success against the Penguins because they're big and they're hard to move. And the Penguins defense couldn't move anybody. They couldn't move them. So late in games especially, what did teams do? We're going to put our big guy that has good hands right in front of the net, and they're not going to be able to stop them. Throw the puck towards the net, you get a good rebound, you're going to tie the game. It happened more often than not, honestly, last season. We don't need to rehash how many times the Pittsburgh Penguins blew a third-period lead in the 2022-23 season. It was way more than any team should be allowing. One of the biggest issues was Jeff Petrie, Jan Ruda, Marcus Pedersen, Brian Dumlin, P.O. Joseph, Chad Ruedel, Chris Letang, Mark Friedman, Taylor Fadoon, Ty Smith, am I missing anybody? Dmitry Kulikov, none of those defensemen were good in the net front. None of them. Not a single one. The Penguins, that might be an area that they look to improve upon, but when it comes to Jeff Petrie, he personally needs to do that next season. The contract isn't great. You don't like paying a player that much money when he's not even your fifth best player on the team. But considering he has a modified no-trade clause, and considering he does make 
whatever million dollars. I already forgot from when I looked it up at the beginning of this segment. They need him to bounce back next season and be at the top of his game because it is going to be difficult to move him if they're even interested in moving him. I don't know if they're interested in moving him. I have no idea if the Pittsburgh Penguins are looking to move Jeff Petrie. The new ownership, scratch that, the new management team has been in place for five days. Kyle Dubas has talked twice. Yeah, he got into player personnel a little bit. Said, bottom six, defense, we need to make some changes. He went on Mark Madden yesterday. Echoed a lot of the same things that he said when he was talking on Thursday. To the entire media, to the entire fan base on the Penguins YouTube channel. So, it's going to be an interesting offseason, as I say at the end of every episode, because it is going to be an interesting offseason. Almost every offseason is interesting because you finally get a peek into the window at the plan. When you see these moves, you can figure out the plan by putting the pieces together. I want to see what those pieces are this summer. Is Jeff Petrie part of the plan? Is Jeff Carter part of the plan? Is Mikhail Granlin part of the plan next season? We don't know as of right now. We can give our best guesses. We can give our opinions. And in my opinion, two of those three names, the Penguins would be better off if they could just shed that's literally what it is. Shed like a snake with dead skin. Get it off. Get it off. Leave it behind. If they could do that with, with Carter and, and Granlund, I don't think it would be that difficult to find players that could contribute at the same level or better for cheaper money to allow the Penguins to hopefully move on and get better players. But that's going to do it for this episode of the tip of the iceberg. Like I mentioned, Nick Horwat will be back on Thursday's episode <clears throat> as I lose my voice. Excuse me. Nick Horowitz will be back on Thursday's episode, but until then, we do have an episode of Penguins to Go coming out tomorrow. We'll have a new episode of Penguins to Go coming out on Friday as well, but that's going to do it for this one. We'll see you guys next time.